Oh, was it nice having the choir back? Amen. And also, thanks to Kate and Ruthie, this is Ruthie's first ever duet or solo. She did pretty good, huh? Well, this month we've been focusing on leadership, seeing it through the eyes of Moses and the people of Israel as they moved out of Egypt to go to the promised land. The first week we talked about the burning bush and how God convinced Moses that he was just the right person for this job. And we define leadership as influence. Last week we looked at the contribution of some unsung heroines Shipra, Pua, and Jochebed. And we made the point that if it wasn't for their courage, their behind-the-scenes leadership, there would be no Moses. And we looked at leadership as everyday leadership, realizing that all of us every day have the opportunity to lead in some way. We even gave you six questions you could ask yourself each day that adds value, not just to your life, but to others. Today we want to add another layer of understanding to leadership. And I want to do so by examining a little more carefully this book of Numbers. Uh, my guess is the book of Numbers is not your favorite book in the Bible. Am I correct with that? Yeah, it, it, it's one of those that uh, we read and, and we find it not all that necessarily uplifting. Uh, the, the challenge, the struggle with Numbers is that uh, it sees the world through the eyes of those Israelites who are grumbling and complaining. Uh, a matter of fact, we find uh, that Numbers, that book gets its name because there are two occasions in the book that Moses uses a census to take account of all the 12 tribes of Israel. Its setting is the harsh desert wilderness where the people of Israel have to struggle for their existence. God seemed that necessary for their development for them to become the people they need to be as they enter that promised land. The passage that we read today is the ninth out of ten separate passages where the people end up complaining and grumbling. Most of the time grumbling about either uh, uh, creature comforts like food and water and the general surroundings of that harsh desert climate. Today's passage was one of the more specific examples of that. They are tired of that bland manna that they've had to use and bake and, and make into cakes. They're ready for some meat. They're craving for meat. And it's caused them in that quest for those comforts that they've lost sight of what life used to be like in Egypt. They've somehow got a selective memory where they've forgotten the oppression, the cruelty of the Pharaoh. And now all they can think about is the Fish, the fish that was plentiful, the cucumbers, the onions, the melons, that water was there at their disposal at any time. And so Moses has got his work cut out for him. Here he is trying to lead this obstinate and stubborn people into that promised future that God has for them. And, and when you look at that future, it's very clearly defined. Another uh, definition of leadership that I want to share today is that leadership is the ability of someone to lead a group or organization through the change that's necessary to achieve a preferred vision. Leadership is moving people through the change that's necessary 
to find and live into that vision of a preferred future. I think leadership is an art. And it's not easy. That vision was clearly defined for Moses. It says in Exodus 3.8, I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey. Now, leadership, you think, should be pretty simple, right? You're leaving slavery, going to this beautiful land that's described here. What's so hard about that? Well, there's a few obstacles. For one is they have to negotiate this rough Sinai wilderness, this desert climate, just to get to the promised land. Secondly, when they get to the promised land, it happens to be already inhabited. The Canaanites and other clans are already there, and they're not just going to hand that over to them. They'll have to write for their fight for their place in that land. But even more, when you read Exodus and Numbers, you realize that the promised land is not so much to God about the land itself. It's about becoming that special people, a people that treat each other differently, that has one true God, that it will be a, a place where people are treated justly and fairly, where the poor and the widow are cared for and looked after. A place where revenge is not the normal consequence. It's a place of equity. And for that is the challenge and the struggle that Moses must walk them through and must lead them to. Now, of course, as we hear in this story, it leads to a lot of criticism. And believe me, if you've ever been in a position of leadership, you better be ready for some criticism, right? Uh, how many of you who are teachers get through the entire year without somebody complaining that you're not treating their child fairly. Or if you are at work and you've got to institute a new software technology, what happens? It doesn't go well, does it? And certainly for women in the workplace now, that we find women now operating as CEOs, and they may act no differently than a man, but because they're a woman, they're called bossy instead of just being assertive. And how about politicians? Wow. I feel sorry for politicians. I came across this uh, chart that had uh, a Gallup poll that showed the uh, approval rating, the average approval rating throughout the entire term of a certain president. And it's pretty interesting. The most popular president, according to this, was John F. Kennedy. And you know why that is? Because his term ended prematurely. He got 70%. But look at the other numbers there. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, 55%. Ronald Reagan, 52.8%. Bill Clinton, 55%. George W. Bush, 49%. Barack Obama, 47%. That means even when things might be going well on your best days, you're lucky if you've got half the people liking what you're doing. Criticism. Why would anybody want that position? And, and here is where it gets even more complicated. Try and negotiate through a certain amount of change and see how that goes. And it's hard, isn't it? Because the fact is, none of us really like change. One of the things I've learned in leadership through my years of ministry is that uh, lots of people will say they want that preferred future that you're describing. Just don't change anything in the process. And, and I kind of get that, you know. 
I, I tend to see myself as one of those early adopters of things. I, I, I look for, I'm a futurist. But you know, I, I came across a period of my time in my life where I realized that sometimes I'm even a little resistant to change. Um, you know, when the smartphone started coming around and, and my kids kept telling me, Dad, you need to get a smartphone because they, they knew I was into technology. But, but you know, I had this, this Samsung flip phone and it just works so well. I, I mean, phones are for calling and texting, right? And this thing was so cool that not only could you flip it this way to talk, but you could turn it and flip it the other way and you could text and the and the letters here switched from numbers to letters, so you didn't have to press five three times to get the letter L. It was so awesome. <laughs> and it just kept working. I, I kind of got on a simplicity kick. I kept telling my kids, I'm proud of my dumb phone. <laughs> I, I don't need it. I think I went in three and a half years into my contract. And then finally, the battery started not lasting quite so long. And, and my kids were sending me these pictures, and it was so hard to see them on this little screen. So I broke down, and I bought an iPhone. I think by that time it was iPhone 4. And my first thought was, what was I thinking? Gosh, I can take pictures. I can edit those pictures. I can send them my kids back and forth. I can post them on Facebook. I can surf websites all over the place. The Kindle app on this was so good that I didn't need my Kindle anymore. I got five years of books that I've read right here, right at my fingertips. And now I'm into podcasts. What was I thinking? But change is hard, is it not? And that's the challenge for any leader, especially for Moses, is how do you help people negotiate that change to, to go through that learning curve that you all have, to handle the pain that you're going to experience in the short term in order to get to that preferred future. That is the challenge. And if you look at Moses' story, you discover that God helped them out with that process. If you look at today's scripture, a couple places, we see something that was done. We, we notice in Numbers 11, did you notice the way Moses talks to God? I mean, did you hear how real that was? Do you ever talk to God like that? I might be afraid I might get struck by lightning if I talk like that. And he says, did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them? Am I supposed to be nursing them? And then at the end he says, if you're going to treat me like this, just please kill me. Don't ever say that prayer, okay? <laughs> Don't recommend that. God just might take you seriously. But isn't the beauty in that that you see the kind of relationship Moses had with God? He had that intimate give and take that he felt comfortable sharing. And because he did, God was able to help him time and time again. He shared that burden. Because the reality is that Moses was burnt out. And we all will burn out if we don't stay in touch and make space for God in our life. Because God never burns out. So I challenge you, if you're in a position of leadership, what are you doing to make sure that you carve out some space to stay connected with God over and over again? Because if not, I guarantee you, you will burn out, as Moses describes here. But then there's one other thing that God did, which is really so cool. He tells Moses, go and get 70 of your elders and officers. It's basically saying, go get 70 of your best and brightest. 
bring them to the tent of meeting, and there I'll take some of the spirit that I've placed on you off, and I'll place it on them. Isn't that cool? And think about what that tells us about leadership. That means Moses had to be willing to let go of some of that spirit, to let go of some of that control, to pass it on to these 70 so they share in that burden. But think about how wonderful that was for Moses from now on that they get a little bit of this all-powerful God and the demands he's got for us and the dreams that he has for us. So they were sharing those dreams with Moses so he was no longer alone in facing that. So I challenge you, if you're in a position of leadership, how are you sharing that leadership? Do you have to hang on to control? Can you let that go and share it with others so that that burden is carried by others? And then let me close with this really important point. And, and we don't get this unless we come to the answer. Why are there 10 separate passages of complaints in Exodus and Numbers? Why 10? And, and we don't appreciate why that's so important unless we allow ourselves to identify with the Israelites. I don't know how you are, but most of the time when I've read this passage, I always want to focus on Moses. I want to identify with Moses. He's that leader I want to be. But this week when I, I read and reflected and prayed about this passage, I thought, whoa, sometimes I'm like these Israelites. You know, I like to complain. I was complaining last week at the state fair when I'm standing in line at the dairy barn to get my root beer float shake. It took me 45 minutes to get that shake. And I'm standing in line and grumbling and not thinking about the fact that one in nine people in the world suffer from malnutrition. I notice that I tend to complain about News sources being so biased. You can't seem to turn on any channel. I feel like you're getting the straight dope from anybody. But the reality is we have freedom of the press in this country. I can get news wherever I want it. That's a pretty cool thing. And I'm sure you don't do this. But I notice the older I get, the more I complain about the way things used to be that are no longer. And if I'm honest, they weren't always that great way they used to be. And I can complain about all those extremists that believe things differently than I do, but not stop and realize that, you know, how much have I tried to understand their perspective and to find some common ground? I don't know about you. Maybe you're a child of Norman Vincent Peale and the power of positive thinking, but I like to complain. Like it or not, I've got more in common with those Israelites than I thought. Now, so why are there 10 separate passages wearing us out with all this grumbling from the Israelites? What is the importance of the book of Numbers to begin with? Why did God put that in our biblical canon? The answer comes in asking, how many plagues did God visit upon the Israelites? Anybody know that answer? 10, right? 10. And we need to understand that those plagues were not just for the, Isra for the Egyptians, those plagues were to instill faith and hope and belief in the Israelites that would carry them, not just out of Egypt, but to carry them through the wilderness into the promised land. So here we have ten sets of complaints by the Israelites and ten tests of those Israelites 
And we have 10 examples of God instilling faith in them. And then after all that grumbling and complaining, that means that we have 10 examples of God not forgetting his covenant with the people of Israel. Yes, there was some individual judgment. And yes, they did have to wait an entire generation before they're allowed to enter because they weren't ready yet. But God never broke his covenant with those Israelites. Ten times are examples of him being faithful and true. And that's one of the most important things you can do as a leader. That no matter what kind of grumbling you get, don't take it personally. Love them just as God has loved you. And if we find ourselves on that other end, may we understand and accept and appreciate that God stays with us. No matter how much we grumble or complain or criticize, God still loves us amazingly. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful that you show us what real leadership looks like. We're thankful how you're with Moses and also the promise that you'll be with us as we work wherever we are to try to lead people to that preferred future that you have in mind for us. That is our hope and prayer through Christ who is our Lord. Amen.